You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. I was born and raised in the South Front Street. I'm so proud to say that my life's complete. My father's strong, and I am told the family name I must uphold. Strong, bold, and demanding. That makes the girl outstanding. Often imitated, but never duplicated. I always say that one the D is one of a kind and elegant is here. She's gonna rock your mind. All right, on today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho, my guest saw and was present at the beginning of the hip-hop culture that went around the world. And my guest is also responsible for songs such as Blue Eyes, The Goddess, slash To The Bone, and I Want To See You Sweat. And my guest is still going strong today. Chances are you know who I'm referring to, but I'm going to give you three trivia questions to begin with. All right, clue number one. Her birth name is Luanda McFarland. That gives you a hint? All right, clue number two. The person was born in Harlem and raised in the Bronx of New York City. And three, this will give it. She became the first female hip-hop DJ under the protege of DJ Cool Herc. You know who she is now. With that, we welcome to the mic the one and only Wanda D. Welcome to the mic. How are you, Wanda? I'm great. How are you, Augustus? You look first beautiful. Of, first of all, I'd like to say I do not like talking about myself. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I like for my work to speak for itself. So I'm not one of those artists who sit around all day and talk about themselves. That's not me. I, I usually have my manager slash husband, Eric Floyd, who he usually sits next to me and he's the promoter. And I usually let the history books speak about me and my fans speak about me. So it's the last thing I want to talk about is myself. <laughs> However, I love Ruben. He is my, the most beautiful person in the world and so I granted him this interview and I granted you this interview so here we are thank you very much <laughs> I appreciate that and I feel honored and I appreciate your humility thank and I you also am grateful for the exception that you made thank you okay. now um, there's nothing there's nothing more exciting than you know hearing things from Wanda D's own experience and mouth so that's what this is all about and we're okay. going to make everybody happy. Um, okay, you were born in uh, Harlem, right? Yes, I was. Now, what? how old were you when you left um, Harlem and went to the Bronx? Oh, I must have been about three years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have much recollection. I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, okay. Excellent. You know, it seems like Harlem has produced really a number of famous entertainers, and, of course, you're one of them. Is this something Thank in the you. water that this has uh, created such... Um, it's it's in, it's in the air uh, and from the Bronx as well, being raised in the Bronx. Hey, we have Jennifer Lopez, who's who lived, who was raised in the Bronx herself. We got a lot of people from the Bronx, Cardi B, you name it. It, it is <laughs> the Bronx is kind of talented, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. And that's what I want the world to know. Now, did you go to school there, high school there? Yes, I did. Which Evander Charles High School. Yes. Oh, they must claim you as one of their favorite daughters, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, they will so. now. <laughs> did you like school when you were young? Yeah, I did. I love school. I I took up music. I I was part of the band, and I played the clarinet. I was oh. part of a bunch of choruses in, in school, so... Yeah, I, I love that part of school. I love English, the subject of English and science. And so it was fun for me. That's great. Before you became what you are today, uh, what did you want it to be if music wasn't in the picture? I can't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> music was always in my blood since I was a little itty bitty. So I used to perform a lot for my family and family reunions. 
imitate James Brown and <laughs> Tina Turner. And those are all of the superstars that I looked up to. And uh, Dionne Warwick, uh, it was a whole lot of Dinah Ross. Uh, all those people are inspirations to me. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Um, how old were you when you met DJ Cool Herc? How old was I? Yeah. I was a teenager. You were a teenager, right? <laughs> yeah. How, how did you meet uh, DJ Cool Herc? What was the situation that you ran into each other? I met him at a party up in Edenwall Projects, Edenwall Center. Mm -hmm. And that's how our relationship grew from there. And he used to have me do shows with him and up there. And it was, that was a really, really, really fun time for me. It was very special, right? It was very special because that's cool, her. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> He's the godfather. Tell us, yeah. tell us something about him so that a broader community will understand who he was and what he did for you. Who Herc started hip-hop. He, he's the godfather of entire hip-hop community and, and movement. And he used to, he used to like DJ and, and he would mark his records so you can see him, what the titles were. And that, uh, that that used to intrigue me. And I was like, wow. I was like, what's the name of that record? He was like, I'm not telling you. I was like, okay. Well, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll find out on my own. But that's just the way he was. And I love him for that. And the way he just took me under his wing and showed me the ropes. And so when you have something like, like someone like that in your life and that's mentoring you, you you you've already won, you know. Right now, what what do you think he saw in you that he focused on you and wanted to mentor you and develop you? My drive and my hunger and my passion for DJing and being the first female DJ in hip hop that was something very special for me. That he saw that in me, and that's how we connected. And he was like a father because he, he was very protective of me and he looked out for me. And that's something I always will treasure with him. Wonderful. Do you recall Back to School Jam? A Back to School Jam? Yeah, Back to School Jam, where he, uh, uh, ripped, when he uh, got everybody together and uh, hosted parties there. What, who? Who, Herc or me? Herc. Herc? Yeah. Well... Herc did a lot of stuff uptown. Um, it wasn't a lot of like back to school stuff. It was just, he was just doing shows and doing uh, parties like every week in Edenwall Projects. That's where I met him. Okay. And yeah, he would just, this man was just phenomenal at what he did and his talent is tremendous. So you would say that Cool um, Herc, DJ Cool Herc was point zero of hip hop. That's where it all began. Yes, that's where it all began with him. And he would just throw park jams, and he would set up his equipment outside of his his um, apartment complex and do his thing. And that's what I looked up to. I looked up to him. I looked up to Africa Bambata, who yeah. also. Put yeah. me under his wing. Yeah. And yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> and he uh he, he gave me my first gig at uh T Connection. That was like big time for me. I was like, wow. <laughs> and so yeah, he he really, really was influential in my life. Do you think he and also you did you envision hip hop becoming this? A big and this influential in our society today when you began back then? I wasn't really focusing on that. I was just having fun and going from place to place and doing parties and just loving what I, I'm doing, what I was doing back then. And so I never really thought that 
it would become this big. Right. Do you think both you and uh, DJ Cool Herc were, did you guys realize that you guys were doing something so different that it could have had this kind of impact later on? It was so unique. I, I know it was different. Mm -hmm. And again, I looked up also to um, DJ Grandmaster Flash. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always wanted to be a female Grandmaster Flash. And so that's who I also looked up to. And Absolutely. no, I, again, I never once thought that I would be a part of history books, all the history books and stuff. And I just went out there and just did it. And it was, it was something that you really have to have a lot of courage and just go out there and just don't even think about it, just do it. And here I am today. You were in the eye of a hurricane. Oh yeah. Without even because realizing. When, when I started, there were no female DJs that I could look up to. I was only looking up to the ones that uh, was up the male DJs. And so it was, it was different and it was uncharted territory. So I just said, you know what? I'm gonna go do it. This is what I love and whatever comes of it, comes of it. And so, yeah. How did your contemporaries react to you, your first uh, female DJ role? Oh, I got a lot of pushback at first. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because it's never been done before, I got laughed at. I got, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, guys would laugh, laugh at me and say, oh yeah, right, sure. You, a DJ, yeah, right. And uh, let me tell a story. When I played uh, the Tea Connection, because I was personally invited there by Bambada himself. And so I went up the, to the DJ booth to go and get on and do my set. And the guy looked at me and was like, what are you here for? I was like, well, Bambada invited me, the special guest. And so he's like, yeah, right. And he's like, ha, 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 yeah, right, sure. Yeah, get out of here. And I was like, I'm serious. I'm here to get on the turntables and do my thing. And so he wouldn't let me on. So I had to go get Bambada. And Bambada came upstairs and said, yo, she's special guest. Let her on. She's my guest let on the turntables and when i got on the turntables and i did my thing and after i was done he was like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry he he was he said please forgive me please forgive me i said it's okay it's okay brother revenge is sweet huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i guess you this your uh turning do all the speaking for you technically speaking is it difficult to do what you did in terms of DJ? Because I've never done it, so that's the reason why I'm asking. It was difficult because I had to go a lot of places with my records and equipment and do shows in the tri-state area by myself on all hours of the night. I had to go out to Staten Island and do shows. And so, you know, the ferry, it stops running after a certain time. So I had to stay out there until the next day and wow. then come back by myself. Wow. You know, as a teenager, come on now. <laughs> yeah. oh, I understand. Oh yeah, I understand. I, I raised a daughter, so. So I, I have balls that. of steel. <laughs> yes, yes, and obviously a lot of talent. Is it technically difficult to do what you did in terms of spinning and, and uh, uh, ripping? Well, not at, not at first. No, 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 not at, not at all, actually. Um, because I, I practice, I rehearse, I, I honed in on my skills. So, no, it wasn't difficult. Okay, is, is it more of a science or of art to, to, to do what you do? Both, science and an art. You gotta learn the technical part of it. And the artistry of it is, is again, be creative and have fun.
I got you. I got you. Uh, at some point, you also uh, ran into Africa Bambata, right? So let's talk about him a little bit. Um, how did he impact uh, your career in terms of DJing at the time? He helped me a lot. Again, I had Bambata, who's from Bronx River, in the lower part of Bronx, and he took me under his wing. And then I had Kuhurt, Hurt, who was in the upper part of the Bronx, Eden Law Projects area, who took me under his wing as well. So they were like, look, don't mess with her. <laughs> Leave her alone. So I had uh, all that protection from both of them, and I love them for it. Um, from DJ Cool Herc, what did you learn most? I learned that if you really do what you love, then it's no longer work. It's, it's like a working vacation. And I had a great time watching the crowd and watching him, how he controlled the crowd with just music. And two records on the turntable. And I was like, wow, this is, this is like phenomenal because you could get people to scream and yell and all you had to do is just throw a record on the, on the turntable and just start blending and mixing. And that was like fun for me. That was like phenomenal for me to see how people react to music and what you do as a DJ with the music. You can remix songs with the two turntables and a mixer and watch the crowd just go crazy and just change the whole song around, the arrangement of the song. And that's what I learned from Bambada and from Cool Herc and all the DJs that were out at the time, Grandmaster Flash and the whole nine. And we will be right back after this important message. Cool Herc named you uh, Wanda D, right? No, he did not. He did not? Okay, that must <laughs> no. have been urban no. logic. How did you come I, out with that? Yeah, that was that. I came up with my name. Yeah. Okay, so that is factually wrong. Yes, that's so that, factually wrong. <laughs> okay, you heard it here, people. It is factually wrong. So yeah. it has nothing to do with uh, Yeah, with I cool named Herc. myself. Yeah, I had already uh, a name. And is there that's, That was my name, yeah, there, when I met him, yes. Okay. Is there a story behind Wanda D? I just love the name because I looked up to uh, Ruby D and Ozzy Davis and I was like, wow, that sounds, that got a nice twist to it. So I was like, Wanda D. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. That's a Ruby D. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. uh, DJ Cool Herc came from Jamaica. Oh, his, his uh, background is Jamaican family. Mm -hmm. And also... Um, Africa Bambada, he's one of the side of his family is also from Jamaica and Barbados, which are both Caribbean countries. Did you sense any cultural influence in their music in how they were oh, yeah. playing at the time? Yeah, they, they played a, a lot of reggae music, both of them. Yeah, I definitely did. I, I definitely see the influence there, and I, I detected it. So when they were the music Okay. Yeah, from the music that they spun at the time. Um, now, it seems like uh, Africa Bambada had a more commercial success while Cool uh, Herc kind of was limited. Why do you suppose that uh, DJ Cool Herc never really went commercial or was recognized largely as commercial success? That I cannot speak on, as I don't know, again, what his... Um, what made it that way for him. I can, I can definitely um, speak only for myself, so you, it's best you talk to him about okay. his... Uh, That's fair. Uh, would you say one or the other influenced you more? 
in terms of developing you to the, or the role that you had at the time? As one did what? I'm sorry. Influenced you more than the other? No, no, they both influenced me equally. And that's why I gravitated to both of them. Great, great. Um, tell us something about Af uh, the background of uh, Africa Bambada and how he was part of the black space and how he used music to uh, kind of influence young um, adults at the time. Well, Bambada, as far as his being part of the black space, again, I was uptown, so I, I didn't know too much about that part of his life. Because okay. when I met him, he was Africa Bambada, the DJ. Already at the time. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, can't, okay. I can't speak too much about the, the gang part of his life, him being in the gang. Yeah, I think he, he had a kind of unique story because mm -hmm. uh, he used uh, hip-hop to really positively influence young people. And, yeah, he turned uh, it around. Exactly. He turned it around. And exactly. he, made, he made it very positive and got, helped a lot of people who were in bad situations in their neighborhoods. He allowed them an avenue to use their creative juices to get up and out of those bad situations. Yeah, and uh, I hope you get a lot of recognition about that because, you know, so that's something that impacts a lot of people's lives in a very positive manner. So I wanted uh, to talk about him a little bit just to make sure that what mm -hmm. he did was beyond music, but also mm -hmm. impacted the community, especially with young people, you know, giving yeah. them a better alternative as opposed to shooting each other and that sort of thing. So Yeah, he's, he is getting, he's getting the recognition he deserves. Yes, and... Uh, in terms of his professionalism in the music, what was his strength from what, from what you saw? As far as his Bambada? Yeah. yeah, in terms of his music aspect, what was his strength? His, well, Bambada's strength is just playing all different kinds of cultural uh, music. And that's what he did. And that's what he, it made it, um, he was made famous from that. And so, yeah, when he did uh, Planet Rock, it was like he took rock and hip hop and dance music and mixed all of that together and it just exploded around the world. So he's very innovative when it comes to that. That's great. When you look back on the, um, your background and what you've done and where it all originated, all from hip hop. How do you feel? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look back in retrospect, what are some of your thoughts about when you were a teenager back then in Bronx doing all the uh, DJing? Well, uh, as a teenager, again, I was just <laughs> fearlessly going out there. I was like, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to let nobody stop me. Amen. And so, <laughs> again, <laughs> I don't know. I had angels with me because some of the places that I went to DJ, it wasn't always the safest. Uh, I can imagine. So, yeah. So again, my passion overrode everything else. <laughs> that was my drive. That was my, my courage, you know? So that would be an advice you would give to up and coming people to have courage, huh? To have courage. Oh yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, Harry Belafonte and the movie uh, Beat Street. Ah, um, uh, Harry. <laughs> yeah, you were you were on the set. Uh, so, what was it like uh, being on the film set with Harry Belafonte filming uh, Beat Street, and, and you play yourself? It was a dream come true because, first of all, I never even thought I would be in a movie, and <laughs> I wasn't even there was no part for me in that movie at all. Originally, no, no. Harry Belafonte and his crew came up to the Bronx and auditioned me personally. Yes. And so when I was done, I said, "So, is there a part in the movie for a female DJ?" And he said, "Now it is." <laughs> Harry Belafonte said to me, "Now it is," and I was like. Oh, I was, I jumped, I almost jumped out of my skin. <laughs> that was a major 
major monumental moment for me in my career. Did you feel at that time you have arrived as a DJ at that time when you got on celluloid? Oh, at that time, at that time, I know I was just grateful and honored to be a part of that movie and that he personally chose me to be a part of that movie. And so that's all I was thinking about at that time. Well, you had to be one of the best. I mean, I don't think Harry Belafonte would have selected uh, anybody. Well, thank you. <laughs> so I think your whole package of persona and your drive and your capability, obviously that played into the whole thing and Harry liked what he saw. Yeah, he, he did. And I'm, I'm so happy he did. <laughs> yes. How was he as a person when, he, you know, when you met him and you were auditioning for him? Oh man, he was—he you know, was, he was kind and nurturing, and very humble and understanding, and very quiet. He spoke very—he was like he would speak like this. He was—he was a, a very <laughs> humble, quiet speaking man, and and he—he he was just. I was like, wow, seeing him in, in movies and stuff, and now standing in front of me. <laughs> so it was like, wow, oh, my God. I, I had an oh, my God moment. But I, I, on the outside, I was calm. Inside, I was like, <laughs> When you got the part, or when you realized that Harry's going to make you part of the film, who was uh -huh. the first person you told that to? The first person I told that to mm -hmm. was my family, of course. <laughs> Your mama? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is like, I can't even tell you how excited I was. Oh, absolutely. Did you get any residuals for a while being in the film? Oh, yeah. Still <laughs> to this day. Oh, still, still to this day. Yeah, because it's playing, B Street is playing somewhere around the world every day on somebody's cable network, a streaming network. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an icon by this point. Yeah, it is. And it really you, is. And you had a lot to do with it in your own way. Well, well, thank you. Me, <laughs> me and others. <laughs> yeah. Um, at that time, uh, you, you had a friend, uh, Richard Cisco, and... Um, things didn't work out between you two, and I guess you kind of broke up, and then you went your own way. Yes. Um, how amicable was the uh, breakup at that time with the uh, Cisco kid? It was amicable. He went his way. I went mine. And God rest his soul, I'd rather not talk about him. Right. And out of respect to his family. So we can just move on. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I do understand, you know, what he was thinking and all that stuff, but, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. And then mm -hmm. you met your future husband. Yes, I did. Soon thereafter, and of course, as they say, the rest is history, right? The rest is her story, yes. which is my story. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm sure when I talk to him next week, it's going to be uh -huh. fun. Uh, yeah. How did you meet uh, your future husband, Eric Floyd? Well, we met at UPS downtown on 43rd Street and 12th Avenue. <laughs> yeah, we call it Ups. <laughs> yeah. And, huh, go ahead. I, yeah, how did you meet him? Or what's the story there? Well, we met uh, at UPS store. We both bring in the packages down there, uh, uh, UPS company, actually. Um, and uh, we bumped into each other on the elevator because he was looking at some woman with a push-up bra. And <laughs> so uh, he bumped into me and our packages dropped and I bent down to pick it up and he bent down. we bumped heads and here we are today. <laughs> yeah, and, and to, he tried to like apologize to me and he wanted to, he went and bought like a bouquet of roses and tried to present it to me and I threw it back at him and he said, okay, okay, listen, um, okay. I promise I'll leave you alone if you would just go out 
to lunch with me. And I was like, okay. And you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> Here we are today, 30 some, 30, 38 years later, you know? <laughs> he turned on that charm for you, I guess. Yeah. Huh? And once he got you, that was it. Yep. Oh, what a man. <laughs> um, now, if, at, at some point, um, your husband encouraged you to stop spinning and then become more of a performer, right? Well, he didn't encourage me to stop spinning. I was still spinning. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, he encouraged me to be a female rapper, a glamorous mm -hmm. female rapper. So okay. I went from DJing to now rapping. And he said, now be the first glamorous female rapper out there because a lot of the female rappers back then it was wearing sneakers and jeans and gold chains and caps on their heads and sweatshirts and sweatsuits and he said just do this for me he crafted the image the goddess he said listen one thing you can be you can be 100 percent female that will set you apart from the others. And so that's what I did. And he crafted the glamorous image with a lot of um, glitz and, and a lot of uh, sequence dresses and the hair, the makeup. And he, he hired uh, quite a few people to help me to put my makeup on. He would take me down to uh, see the drag queens perform at Cafe Society. And they did, they, they did um, like uh, Dinah Ross and Tina Turner and those people, Kevin Jackson did Dinah Ross back then and he would have me sit in with them while they're putting on their makeup and getting ready for their show. And I would ask a ton of questions. I was like, okay, well, why do you put that line there? Because they, they taught me how to contour my makeup, my eyes, my cheeks, cut my cheeks. And they said, well, you put that much there because it, it looked like a bunch of dark lines to me, right? And when they were first putting it on. And so I was like, why, is it, why do your makeup look like that? They said, oh, honey, when I'm done, you'll see. <laughs> and so they said, well, you got to take these lines and blend them. Just blend your, your cheeks, blend your eyes. And so they showed me how to do all of that. And I was like, wow, is this what you do? Is this the magic behind the scenes? And they were like, yeah. And so I learned from drag queens how to do my makeup. They taught me. Well, and um, then my husband hired Willie Ninja. Um, and he taught me how to walk in heels. And he trained, uh, he worked with Naomi Campbell, and a lot of the supermodels. And so twice a week, he would come to the house and make me put on stiletto heels and walk from one end of the room to the next. And that's how I learned how to walk in heels. Man, Eric was serious, the huh? The great Willie Ninja, who wow. was the master of Vogue. Wow. He, he created Voguing. And we will be right back after this important message. This is Radio Freedom. And we're back. Yeah. Eric was really serious about transforming you. Into oh, yeah. And then um, he had me study all of the great women. Tina Turner, Dinah Ross, Josephine Baker, Edith Piaf, uh, Eartha Kitt, who took me out of the way, uh, Diane Carroll, just uh, it's so many greats. And he was like, here, we would go, because back then we had VHS tapes. We didn't have 
we didn't have all of the technology we have now, and we would go and rent all of these women's tapes, their concert tapes, and he would just, I, I, I'm telling you, I had it from the floor to the ceiling stacked up, and I would just go in the room, lock myself in the room, and watch all of these women do their concerts and the way they performed and sang and and how they handle themselves on stage. And I was like, wow. And so I absorbed all of that into my hard drive. And so when I, I go and perform now, it all of them just come out Thank of my, uh, yeah, it, it, it ooze out of me, all of that experience. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like a, a, a combination of all of these women that I, study best of all of them yeah yeah and my well, boy eric was really serious when he was talking about uh transforming into glamorous rappers. yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, well, he did his thing well, and i appreciate him for that i love him so much because he he made sure that i was prepared and and took the hard road not the easy road yes and he's a man of vision clearly yeah, yeah, because uh, I started off doing clubs, and my first introduction of my glamorous image and the image, the goddess image, was in 1987 at the World. That's where I debuted the whole act, and for the first time, and he had my hair. He had. Uh, Gerard DeRay, who, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, and he helped uh, do my hair, the big hairdo, and I did my makeup, and I had a two-piece uh, skin-tight physio outfit and my high-heel stiletto heels that I was taught how to walk in, right. <laughs> and I had four hip-hop jazz dancers, and Eric was one of them. And so, um, and I had on a big white chinchilla uh, full-length uh, coat. And uh, when I got on that stage and I had the coat on and the music started, it was a song that I wrote called Use Your Hands. And it was just phenomenal. When I ripped off that coat and <laughs> started rapping and dancing and the crowd just went up. and. That's how oh, yeah. I was. That's how the goddess was introduced. Yes, you blew it all up. The goddess of rap, yes, was yeah. introduced to the world yeah. at, at the world at Absolutely. that time. <laughs> the package was complete, obviously. Yeah. Uh, how was the transition in terms of uh, actually, you know, rapping was that hard? No, it wasn't because it was again. It was something that I wanted to do. So when you really want to do something, sure. you really put the time into it. In order to be great at anything that you do, you got to put 10,000 hours in. And so anything that I set out to do, I put 10,000 hours into, whether it's DJing, rapping, singing, dancing, uh, recording. I, I put that kind of time into it. I hope the world is listening as to the secrets of success. It's 10,000 hours of preparation. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Where did yes, you get it. that idea from? That drive. Where did I get the idea from? The drive. Yeah, the drive. The drive? Yeah. I, I, guess, I guess I was born with it because I started singing and dancing and before I started walking, <laughs> actually, there's something, rhythm is something that was, was and still is in my soul. So I love beats. I love music. I just love everything about entertaining others and how the, again, how the crowd is affected by what I do. And all your fans love you for that. Uh, uh, I Thank oh, you. 1986, you released the single Blue Eyes. So mm -hmm. what was that like when it came out? That one, that was my very first uh, record that I, I, I released as uh, 
a rapper and a DJ, because I a DJ and I rapped on that song. And that was the first time that I met Peter Warneman of PWL Records. It was on uh, his label, Listen Records. And that was like, again, that was just mind blowing because I got to go to London and record that in 1987. So um, that was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I got to see, I got to fly from the Bronx. That was my very first plane ride overseas ever out, out of the Bronx. So of course I was excited. <laughs> How did you like London? I love London. I, I know it's balmy and cloudy and rainy all the time, but it's just, it's, I love it. I love the energy about it. Yeah. It's, and I love the, the buildings and just the landscaping, uh, landscape of it all. I, I just love London. And I love the people, the cars, everything. How about their uh, fish and chips? Oh, that was, I, that was delicious. I tried that. Yeah, back then. <laughs> yeah, wrapped up in the newspaper. <laughs> Uh, when you went over there, um, was that the beginning of uh, rap influence in uh, Great Britain or was it in the middle of it? How would you uh, assess that? Um, at that time, yeah, that was, that was the beginning, the very beginning. Yeah. So, I was, you, so you influenced how Brits saw hip hop culture there as well through your music? I, I helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're more historical than you may want to acknowledge publicly, but obviously that is the case. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, well, just a fact. In 89, uh, you released uh, The Goddess slash To The Bone. To The Bone. Yeah, what was that? Give, give us some thoughts on that. That was, I love that. That was like dance. To The Bone was like, up-tempo dance type of hip-hop and so that was that was fun it was exciting it was different and then the goddess was more like you know slow heavy beat funky heavy beats and yeah so that was i love that part too this, at that point did you feel you've arrived as a performer? No. <laughs> Again, I, I was just doing doing what I love and being creative. And you, you don't think about those things. You just keep moving and opening doors and knocking down doors. Yeah, I, I don't think about stuff like that. So you were enjoying the process. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just having fun and enjoying the process. And go. doing my thing. And enjoying and having a good time. Yeah. Um, let's talk about KLF a little bit and get your thoughts on that. Um, and in 1990 91, uh, British group uh, KLF, the duo between Bill Drummond and uh, Jimmy Carty used parts of your songs for their yes. songs. Um, and I know that uh, your husband slash manager heard it one time when he was uh, out at a dance place. Yes. And is that how you, you learned about it? That's how he learned about it. Yes, we, that's how we both learned about it. Yeah. He so went to... What was the conversation like when uh, Eric came home and, and shared that with he was, you? He was like, uh, Wanda, your song... Your voice is on this record. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it's called What Time Is Love. And I was like, huh? And it said, courtesy of Wanda D, period. And that's not how I spell my name. My, my name is spelled D-E-E. -E. And he was like, courtesy of Wax, Wax Tracks Records. He was like, uh, who are these people? And so he went up about his manager being the manager that he is he went and he tracked them down and they were like 
hey, Wax Tracks Records out of uh, uh, Chicago. We were like, he was like, who are you? And why do you have my wife's voice on this record? And they were like, well, it was Jim Cowdy and Bill Drummond of the K-11. So he tracked them down. And he was like, uh, they were like, hey, Eric, when he called him, how are you, buddy? He was like, um, why do you have my wife's voice on the, on this on this these records? Because um, uh, I want to see you sweat was on to the bone. That's that that was from my rap record to the bone, and the story behind that is we went we had left the studio because we were recording and everything, and so we left the studio and, and we came back and was like, you know what? Why don't you put on that on the song? I want to see you sweat. Just sing. I want to see you sweat. So we went back in the studio. We had to cut back, cut all the equipment back on, bring up all the lights, and so I just said, I want to see you sweat, sweat, and I added it onto my song to the bone. <laughs> and so um, that's where that came from. They made that a part of uh, what time is love. And so, yeah. Um, in the end, uh, you know, they um, compensated partly for what they did. Um, the KLS at the time with Bill Drummond and Jimmy Carty, they're kind of quirky. You know, they, they weren't your average or typical um, duo, right? Yeah, they were they're producers. Yeah. They were producers that um, sampled people's music. And they were innovative with it. And uh, yeah, their image was kind of quirky. Yeah. Do you think they realized uh, that when they did that, they were actually uh, doing something that was, you know, appropriate? Because when you read about their backgrounds, like um, Drummond, he's more of an artist in terms of drawing and, and sculpture type of thing. And he just wanted to create in, in, in his mind. Uh, taking parts here and from somebody else, putting it together, it became a new product. And he was creating. So I don't think, I don't know if he was actually trying to steal someone's material. Yeah. What do you think? Well, uh, they did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Fortunately, again, I have such a great manager that he made sure that they compensated me wonderful for what they without our permission yes yeah so they agree yeah and and also um we had signed contracts where i was supposed to be it's supposed to be the klf featuring wanda d and they reneged on that part of the contract and so it ended up where i became a part of the KLF and we pushed for me to be separate from the KLF. Again, Wanda D featuring the KLF and since they reneged on that part of the contract, I've been associated with the KLF right. and I've been the only touring act for the last, over the last 30 years that gone out on the road as Wanda D of the KLF. Right. And uh, just like, unlike um, Snap, who have different components of their group and other uh, acts, it's just me. Right. So, uh, yeah. At that time, <laughs> you made a comment, a quote, I wasn't invited into KLF. I, I was, was ignited. ignited. What 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 does what do you, what were you trying to say at the time when you said that? Just what I'm just what we're talking about right now. <laughs> they they took my voice, they stole it, and they made it a part of their music, unbeknownst to me. And so that's what that means. And we will be right back after this important message.
And we're back. Eventually, uh, KLF kind of folded and disappeared. Are you happy about that? Well, I, again, I, I can't speak on, um, for them. I can only speak for me. And I don't take pleasure in anyone's uh, demise of their careers. I, that's not my thing. So I, I can't really speak on it. I can only speak about my journey. Excellent. In, in retrospect, was being associated with KLF beneficial to you or was it a detriment to you? No, it's been beneficial. It's been beneficial. We, we, we all are actually benefiting from the, the music. We're all still getting paid royalties you know, every three months. So it's, it's been a good thing. Yes, even KLF, right? So that's it. it is Everybody. Of, oh, yeah. Everyone involved. Excellent. And, so that's not such a bad chapter. No, it's not. And, and again, um, it, 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 it's that music was like, it still holds up today. The, the, we were the EDM of that time, techno music. It's, it's EDM is just techno music, you know? Electronic dance music is just techno music. And I'm happy to be a part of it is, is when the crowd just, they just go up, they just go crazy when that music comes on. It's, again, it, it still stands true today and that's a testament to the quality that you put yes in. yeah and that's something to be proud of oh yeah it and is not, not many people can say whatever they did a certain time period ago still uh, past the uh, test of time yeah i'm just happy me and my manager eric floyd just took lemons and made lemonade with it well if you put it that way, that's great. Yeah, that must be one hell of a lemonade. Yes. Because <laughs> you're still making money off of it, so that's great. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, and it was a part of um, the Blue Man Group, uh, Last Train to Transcentral. Uh, yeah, yeah. They used, they used to close with that. Um, so, yeah, that was, like, phenomenal. Yes, and yes I'm sure sir. you are proud of that. Yeah, in your they will close their show with Last Train Transcentral, the toilet paper going over their heads. And so I, I made royalties from that. Yes. And you know, they could have chosen. Around the world. Yes, yeah. They could have chosen any uh, song they wanted, but hey, yeah. they selected yours. So what yeah. can you say? Grateful. <laughs> All right. So in 2003, you uh, formed God as Empire, your own label. Right? Yeah. And yes. That was probably one of your goals to have your own uh, company and, and, and structure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's, that's a, um, something that we definitely worked hard to yes. accomplish. Yes. And I'm going to talk to your husband about that in terms of mm -hmm. the aspects. Uh, but at the same time, in 2003, you were inducted into Zulu Nation's 30th uh, anniversary performance. What was that like? Oh, they gave me, yeah, they, that was, man, that was my way of giving back because the Zulu Nation supported me and my career. And so I was like, we were, we were touring around the world and stuff. So I said, uh, you know what? I wouldn't mind be a, being a part of the anniversary celebration. So it was sort of like a surprise. Um, oh, they must have loved it. The people, yeah. So um, I, uh, we put this show together, and they also presented me with a Lifetime Achievement Award, and that was that was beautiful. Well deserved. For people who may not be familiar with uh, Zulu Nation, would you give us a little uh, historical background so that they can appreciate what you've accomplished? Well, Zulu Nation is made up of rappers and DJs and uh, break dancers, and graffiti artists around the world. And Mbata, he, 
he's he made that possible. He's at the helm of that. And like we were talking about earlier, he helped take a lot of people. Um, he took a lot of people under his wing and helped guide them from doing, you know, bad things to good things in the neighborhood. And so, and did it through the art of hip hop. And a lot, we got a lot of break dancers um, that came out of our neighborhoods and, and graffiti artists and just the culture just exploded. And that's the beauty of hip hop. And those are the elements of hip hop. And, and also clothing, the, the, the fashion, that's part of it too. That's oh right. yeah. That's right. You still see it today. Oh yeah. <laughs> A lot of people want to go back to that time, back to the eighties and, and hip hop and how they dress and, all, all that, and it's beautiful to see this generation, young gen the young people in this generation uh, gravitating back to that time and that era. Yes, it, make, it makes you feel like maybe your presence was worthwhile, you know, when all these younger generation 20 years later yeah. want to kind of copy what, you know, we yeah. did at the time, right? Yeah, because they, they, don't, they don't know what it's like to have a, a vinyl record in their hand or to have someone an artist's album and open it up and look at the cover the outside cover then open it up and the inside cover turns into a poster it's like wow and then reading all of the credits that was the most exciting part to me going to the record store and going and seeking out my favorite artists and then reading all of the, the linear notes and saying, and seeing who did what, who played what instrument and who wrote what song. And it was just, just so just exciting back then. Yes. And uh, they're, missing, they're missing out on that right now. Oh yeah. I'm glad they're bringing it back. They're yes. bringing vinyl back. It's, yes. it's coming back slowly but surely. And I'm, I'm happy for that. Yes. And again, you were part of that, uh, whole culture there. Um, oh, thank you. You still keep in touch with Africa Bambama as well? Oh, as yeah. Africa? Of course. Okay, good. Uh, we, Bam has been to quite a few of our homes across the country. And yeah, he's like family. Again, he's like a father to me. He was very nurturing and very, very loving and protective. Excellent. I appreciate that. Um, the other day, uh, Eric sent me a link, so I read this story that you did an interview with a, a, a newspaper, and you were talking about um, self-finance philosophy and how you finance the entire project or production as you hit the road. Give us some thoughts on that. As far as putting together our own productions? Yeah, financing it yourself. Yeah. Of well, yeah, well, when you love what you do, you gotta invest in yourself. And don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. You just if you really want to do it, just pull it to pull the monies together and just go out there and make it happen. DID, get it done. <laughs> in other words, you're willing to invest in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And do it and then recruit do it yourself. Them. Yeah. So investing yourself and then take the profits. Is that basically the uh, philosophy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. and you can branch off to other things as well. And you, I imagine you have more creative freedom, too, when you finance it yourself. In all the, yes, all you do. Aspects. Yeah, you get to, do, to implement the ideas that you want to implement and without any interference and any... Uh, suits telling you what you can't do and why you can't do it right. so yeah well you you uh you and your husband are obviously at a place where you can't find and see yourself and put out 100 percent of your own creativity to produce whatever uh, product product that you wish to present to the world yeah it, that's the best part about it because it, your project will get out there purely the way that you want it and how you want to present yourself to the world. Right. 
Okay. Um, you also talked about how important relationships are with uh, your coworkers and everybody else. Uh, not every uh, performer or actor or actress feels that way. So mm -hmm. what, what is your uh, philosophy on that? Um, for me, yeah, relationships are very important. And it's important that you build them and keep them. Because you, you, no man or woman is an island. And so you need people to help you to get through the door. And so it's best, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Ah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Recently, uh, your husband put on a production uh, with Diane Warwick and uh, Connie Francis. Dion Warwick. And that was probably, that was apparently a, a huge success. What was yes. the thinking behind that in terms of preparation? Where, where did the idea originate? Well, that was his idea. That was his brainchild. And uh, it was phenomenal. It, just sitting there, sitting back and watching him put it together because these two powerhouses have never done a show together ever ever so it was a first time thing and it was it was just phenomenal it was sold out for three nights at the hilton in las vegas um it, it was eric floyd's grand divas of stage and it was it was a lot of fun putting it together that's beautiful Interestingly, I also read about how you create your own cleaning uh, uh, product of peroxide and alcohol. Yes. <laughs> so, well, peroxahol. Yes. Yeah, it's 50% <laughs> peroxide and 50% alcohol. And for over the last 30 years, we have been using it on planes, hotels, you should see us on the planes with wiping down the tables, the armrests, the seat belt, the back of our, where we put our heads in the hotels, wiping down and spraying down uh, uh, remote controls, light switches, faucets, toilet seats, uh, you name it. We just, uh, microphones before I, whether I'm recording in the studio or, performing live on stage, you wipe down the microphones, everything. So this was all pre-pandemic. We've been doing this forever. It's, it's normal for us. And I've been wiping down my groceries for over 30 years. So yeah, this is, this is, this is normal. There you go. This so, is what we do. <laughs> that's a general practice. So yeah, yeah, to stay healthy on the road. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you're dealing with different uh, um, cultures and waters and air and food. So, yeah. There you and go. hotels. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very wise, especially when, you know, when you're on the road so many days out of the year. You yeah. really don't know what you're going to get walking into, right? No, you don't. No, you really don't. And that's why you have to protect yourself. Yeah, very, very wise. All right, so what does the future look like for you right now once the pandemic shuts down? Well, I, as soon as the world opens back up to music, we're going to pursue my world tour. And begin the resurrection? Yeah, the resurrection at the festival. Um, yeah, Newcastle? May 1st, mm -hmm. yeah, 2021 in Newcastle, England. And then we're moving on from there to tour through Norway and the rest of Europe. And then we'll wind it back to Las Vegas with Eric Floyd's uh, old school party. And yes. yes, so <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do that. Since you've been pretty much locked down for the last, uh, I guess eight, nine, 10 months, are you looking forward to hitting the road once again? Yes, yes I am. <laughs> <laughs> so is everybody else. <laughs> We all are. <laughs> well, what do you miss the most about not being on the road? Traveling. Just uh, going from city to city, country to country, and meeting the fans, you know. Uh, yeah, I miss that. 
Well, I'm sure they, they miss you too, and they look forward to seeing you also. Thank you. <laughs> One last question, Wanda D. And that is, if a young lady uh -huh. would like to become uh -huh. the next Wanda D, what advice do you have for this person? My advice is that be yourself. Sure, use my life as a roadmap. However, take from it, add on to what you have, that beauty that's within you, and just pursue it and be your authentic self. There you go. Wanda, you are beautiful both inside and out. And I hope Aww, your husband, you. Eric, knows that. Ah, thank you. <laughs> uh, we wish you continued success, obviously. And we look forward to you hitting the road. And one day, uh, hopefully, uh, our paths will cross so we can uh, bump fists together. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. See, we can pretend. Here we, Here we go. go. <laughs> thank you very much, Wanda. God oh, bless. well, thank you. You are a sweetheart. And we Thank wish you. God, you is, God is with you always. And we wish you best holidays. Thank you. And this is where Same we to you. End. This is Augustus Cho over and out. Okay, everybody. Thank you, Augustus. Thank you. This is what KLF is about. Oh, so known as the Justified Ancients of Moon Moon. Furthermore, known as a jam.